the month of November, I wrote a, my Find Your Genius book. You wrote a book in the month of November? Yeah. Wow. That's impressive, so Mike. My wife was in her like 16th week of pregnancy or whatever it was, you know, and she was going to bed at like 930 or 10. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to bed early and getting up early. So I'd be getting up, you know, between four and six every day and just crank for two or three hours on my book. And uh, soon enough, I had it done and I was letting go of perfection on it, too. um, So praise progress over perfection. Embrace the suck. I love that. I think it was Chris Hogan who said, masterpieces aren't written, they are rewritten. Straight from the boardroom to the microphone, I'm April Garcia, and this is Pivot Me, easily applied tools and hacks to get you ahead. This isn't just a podcast. This is an upgrade for your life. Helping good people become even better. This is Pivot Me. All right. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Mike, on Pivot Me. Excited to be here, April. Love your energy and your joy and excited to connect and dive in. Absolutely. Well, before we get into it, let's read your impressive bio here real quick, Mike. Um, Mike Zeller is a top entrepreneur mentor and business architect. His businesses have generated more than nine figures in sales, and he studied alongside leaders such as Tony Robbins, Russell Brunson, and Jay Abraham. Mike works across multiple industries, including technology, real estate, fashion, digital marketing, and high-level entrepreneur coaching. He's the creator of the Zone of Genius course and has been featured on Business Insider, Forbes, and Fox Radio multiple times. He also has, I just learned, a couple of upcoming books, um, Twice Born, How a Crisis Can Remake You, and I think one about Find Your Genius. We want to hear more about those upcoming books, but thank you so much for joining us, Mike. Thanks for having me on and uh, love how you show up in the world. And you're one of the few people in the world that I know that has been to more countries than I have. (laughs) We're at 45 and counting. Oh, I barely beat you, Mike. uh, Barely. Yes. So... um, I'm, uh, I think I'm in my 30s still, so on that. So I also beat you on age, though. <laughs> well, maybe I lost. I don't know. I'm a little bit older than you, it sounds like. I'm 41, so I don't know. <laughs> okay, I'm 41 as well. So, okay, there we go. Now, now it's a competition, Mike. Now it's a competition. How many can we get to before we reach 45 years of age? That's right. You know what? I'm going to jump right into this because everybody always asks this question now that you talked about the travel thing. And I, I love, hate this question, so I'm just going to lean right into this. I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite country? I always end up with three. I'll just let you know. I can never settle on one. I know. All right. I'll go with my favorite city. Ooh, okay. Italy. Have you been to Florence yet? Mm-hmm. All right. So we got married there, my wife oh. and I. And we've been there. And we had 70 friends there for the wedding. And it was just epic. And and I've been there seven times, probably. Seven or eight wow. times. I love, love Florence. Because once you're in that, like, little pocket. it's most, For me, it's the most interesting city in a small scale because it's mm-hmm. when you're in the old city uh, you don't need a car you walk everywhere and you got such architectural the birth uh, the birthplace of renaissance happened there from yeah. Divinity to michelangelo to medici the modern banking system and and you look at you know we're in a pandemic right now what's interesting the renaissance was born after the black plague spread throughout europe wow 
So what's what's being shaken up right now and what is going to be birthed in humanity and in the world sure. as a result of this COVID situation? That's such a great analogy. I'm so glad you pointed that out because, uh, and we've talked about this a lot on Pivot Me, but people keep focusing on what has been lost or what has changed, but amazing things are also getting birthed out of this. And we've already seen change happening. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad you made that connection because um, that was a devastating time. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. plague, you know, and wonderful things came from it. Um, Not that we don't struggle in this time, but ultimately some really amazing things can come out of it if we choose to. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you think of Black Plague, it was like 70% of some cities were just wiped. And and the Black Plague went on for like 100 years, in essence. It was cycle after cycle after cycle. You know, Marcus Aurelius, he died of of the Black Plague. Um, But yeah, over 50 million people were lost in the Black Plague at a time where the world's population was a mere fraction of what it is now. And and so... That's crazy. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm excited to see what ends up coming out of this. Um, Some great things are going to come out of this. So Mike, tell me how you, so I'm glad you had an answer to that because I end up saying three countries. I'm like, well, for outdoors, it's this. And for this person, it's this. So (laughs) I love that you like had a succinct answer. I need to, I need to strive to nail it down to one. Um, How did you get into this kind of work? Like as I read your bio and the things that you've done, how did you, how did you start down this path? When I was 31, I wrote on my positive affirmations board that I'm a mentor and lead some of the brightest and best people in the world. And at the time, I was just investing in real estate and selling real estate. And I know you have a real estate background as well. So I was in that arena and I was like, someday I'm going to be doing that. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I just had this like, when I did this, uh, I actually did Tony Robbins' Personal Power too. And I wrote my first affirmations and I was like, all right. I think I'm supposed to do this at some point. Um, And then at about age 35, 36, I'd started like in a span of like two years, I'd started like four or five different businesses Uh and started getting more and more people reaching out to me. Um, They were like, hey, Mike, can I have 30 minutes? Hey, Mike, can we go to lunch, coffee, whatever? Uh Soon enough, like half my time was spent mentoring people mostly for free, like honestly, all for free at the beginning. And I was like, I'd walk away from a coffee and be like, man, I poured into this guy. And guess what? He wouldn't take any action. And yeah. I, I was oh, like, yeah. I just gave him $1,000 of my time mm-hmm. for that lunch. And the dude is not effing going to take action. I'm going to, sure. this is going to, then I was like, I'm not, I'm cutting that down. And then I'm only, and then I had uh, my first coaching, paid coaching client, um, really my second, I guess, actually, he was running a $25 million a year e-commerce brand, uh-huh. co-founder of a brand called iheartdogs.com uh, and, and they have millions of followers. And so I started mentoring my buddy, Marshall Morris, and charging a thousand bucks a phone call is what I would charge at the time. And this was, and then I was like, all right, I love doing this. Uh, I get results. And I was like, I got to come up with, I didn't like the one-on-one necessarily because it's so energetically taxing. And I was like, I can't scale that. And so I started a mastermind, a high level mastermind the next year. And I would call up friends and say that I had mentored some. And they'd say, like, Mike, if you think I, uh, uh, I should be in it, let me know. And I, I'm in. Just let me know how much it is and we'll get it taken care of. <laughs> and so that's how I started my first uh, mastermind at the time and then uh, got rolling and uh, had other people say, you know, that I was their best mentor they've ever had. And. Uh, from actually age 22 was the first time someone told me that. And then um, and I just love 
love the game of entrepreneurship, but especially love the people that are in it. I mean, you've you've been in the trenches and, you know, yeah. hey, it's a beautiful thing. And uh, but it's also a grueling, painful thing in many moments. So. Sure. Is. Mike, I, I love that story. I want to ask a question about when you were meeting with the people and they weren't taking action. Would you say it's one of two things? Is it you were meeting with the wrong people or is it because you were not charging and people who pay pay attention? Which one of those or, or a third option? I think it's, I think it would be both. Um, and, and I, yeah, because when you, when you have some skin in the game or some sort of commitment and accountability, then you know what, you you listen up and you, yeah. you shift. Um, and then I didn't have my standards high enough to have a filter at the time that these guys are the most committed because the most committed get the most results. You can give someone the perfect roadmap. I'm, I'm sure you've got had frustrating moments where you're like, I laid it all out for you. It's right there. And now you're blaming me. And, sure. Ah, sure. Right. It, what makes a great coach is a great student. And that's the piece that people always forget. In fact, our at Pivot Me, our, our tagline, which is like, there's mm-hmm. educate, elevate, execute. And I'm like, people are all about the education. Um, they're pretty good about the elevate, but they're, they skip step three. And I'm like, you can't have the result without step three. And it's it's execution. Um, so you've got to be a good student for a great coach. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Yeah. And it's powerful when you get that great student that is committed and then they execute the roadmap and, and you learn from them along the way, too. Okay. So I love it. For sure. So when I look back at your history, you've studied with some amazing people I mentioned in the bio. Um, specifically, I know that you've spent more than 1,400 hours with Tony Robbins and, and mm-hmm. his teaching. So in that time, give us some of the, the highlights of what, what you learned with them, whether it's through Tony Robbins or Russell Brunson, but also maybe what surprised you about it. Tony, uh, I'll hit on what surprised me. Tony will go like 21 hour days on some yeah. events. I mean, the, the first time I took my wife to, uh, I took her in an ultimate relationship event. We had dinner that, that first night. It was our first ever Tony Robbins event. And we had dinner at 2 a.m. 2 a.m. She was so tired. I literally had to spoon feeder, like put the food up and she does not do well without food. Um, and uh, so Tony goes hardcore, um, yeah. but he's uh, what I learned from Tony is like you got to manage your state. And this is why, like, I just finished up a second mastermind in a row, mastermind weekend, in person mastermind. And what happens in these masterminds or experiences is, or you know, in your one on one coaching too, mm-hmm. like people are pinging off of each other and the energy. And it's actually. On the quantum, I learned this uh, from this book right here, actually, Quantum Success. Um, I'm reading this for the second time. It has some layers of quantum physics in there. There's a thing called phase entanglement. Phase mm-hmm. entanglement is when two atoms collide. And they, as they collide and connect, they leave pieces or residue of each other as they bounce off. Right? So if you think about a mastermind, what's beautiful and powerful about masterminds like at, at both weekends i just had one for my e-commerce guys and another one for my expert brand builders they left in whole identity and a whole state because they've pinged and they're taking residue off of one another and they're leaving residue on one another because mm-hmm. and you get yourself in a resourceful empowered generous visionary state then you then you think and feel differently and then 
and it carries with you. Like if you, if like when I wasn't with Tony, I, I, the energy and the momentum I'd have, I would carry for like 30 days. Sure. And then I was like, that's why I need to be at that time. I was like, I'm going to do Tony for uh, a year. I did his platinum partnership program for two years. That's how I did wow. 1447 hours with him. And man, it shifted my identity, shifted my state. Like I wanted to anchor in that new way of being. So that's the beauty of, of masterminds. And then secondly, the power of proximity is like, man, you get yourself in those, those environments. It's like the, the relationship lubrication is so much more powerful and it, things just come easier because you show up differently. You show up more confidently. You know, lots of times we, ha- we know we have the potential, but we don't have the certainty. So mm-hmm. the gap between the potential and the certainty. Yeah, it certainly does. It relationships really are an exchange of energy. Um, and that can work to the benefit, as you were just mentioning. It can also work to the negative. Using some of his language or the five people you spend the most of your time with. Um, sometimes that can sting a little bit when we say it. We did a, a podcast a few weeks ago on that. And you know, I essentially the premise was don't just stick with your default peer group. Your default peer group are people that you work with, people that you live next to, people that your kids play ball with. And a lot of us end up with this default peer group that we did not design. And and that's fine. You might have barbecues with them and you spend some time with them, but you've got to feather in the right people that are elevating you too. just being intentional about, Hey, who is, who we call it the um, future friends list, like making an actual list of, Hey, who needs to be on my future friends list and be intentional about developing those relationships. They're not always easy to have. It might be Kim taking up mountain biking. And I know a guy that's an amazing mountain biker, let me intentionally establish a relationship. So wherever you're headed, make sure that your peer group is there to support it. So whether that's through a mastermind environment or just you're being intentional about, I run or run a marathon. I've never run a marathon before, but Sarah on the street, I see her out running every morning at 6 a.m. I should probably make friends with Sarah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and, and what happens is, you know, your identity shifts. One of the things I love to ask a lot of my clients and ask just friends um, when you have a big vision, then what does the environment need to be to support that goal, to support your success? Like what, for what does my environment need to be for my success to be inevitable? So you have to think about like uh, you have to start thinking about yourself as an environmental designer. And so I know and, you know, with your clients, right? Like if you uh, you've got your productivity course that's out, right? You know, if hey. If I do these habits, if I do these habits, if I feed my mind this way, if I put myself in relationship and proximity to these sorts of people every day and every or in in rhythms and consistency, if I go to the gym four times a week at this hour and eat these things, you're going to get more of the body and feeling that you want, more of the energy, more of the health. Same thing in our in our business. It's like, hey. What what's our environment? So like success becomes inevitable. It's almost like what if gravity could pull us up instead of pull us down? And it can if we design the environment. And that's one of the things that Tony didn't exactly frame it that way, but that's that's how I reinterpret it and and now teach it. So yeah, exactly. I love the concept of success becomes inevitable because sometimes it feels like this like you know nebulous thing that people are like, how do I crack the code to success and you know, yeah. success leaves the 
lose, but it's like, well, you just repeatedly do habits. Even if it's just 1% each day, you repeatedly do habits that get you in the room of success. Mm. And your group is a huge one of them, but also just model after successful people. It's it's so funny because people think that it's so difficult, but I'm like, a lot of successful people write books. Start there. <laughs> read, read books and follow their habits. Exactly. One thing I'd love for you to talk about is um, overcoming business failure. And I'm sure that some of those lessons would also apply for personal failure as well. But talk to us about how you overcome business failures. You've had a lot of them. I'm sure you've had a lot of experience or clients have talked yeah. about that. Yeah. So uh, I was actually writing about that this morning in my uh, Find, Your, Find Your Genius book a little bit. But, you know, I, first, I don't look at them as failures as much as setups. Um, so, and I really embraced that mindset in my early twenties and, you know, there's two things that helped me embrace that. Um, there's the story, you probably know the story of, uh, Thomas Watson senior is in the middle of the great depression. He has a, a executive come to him that screwed up a million dollar deal. So this is like, you know, equivalent of probably, you know, $200 million deal today. Um, so he screws up a deal and it doesn't go through, it doesn't close. And the executive comes to Thomas Watson Sr., the founder of IBM, and hands him his resignation. And Mr. Watson says to, let's say his name Steve, says, Steve, I just paid a million dollars for your education. You're not resigning. And then Sarah Blakely, one of the most successful. Do you know, do you know what her, uh, her dad used to ask her every day at dinner? No. So her dad would ask her and her brother, if I remember correctly, would ask, what did you fail at today? That's good. So then it became embedded in her psyche that this is progress. Success or or failure is not failure. It's learning. In fact, one of the things I teach in my rewrite your money story process is that the middle class mindset Versus abundance mindset. Middle-class mindset is like, avoid failure, get A's, don't do anything you can't succeed at. Failure mindset, abundance mindset, wealthy mindset, man, is like, you know you're going to strike out, but get in the game. Mm -hmm. And then that's why, like, most multimillionaires, you know, they've been bankrupt a couple times. Oh, yeah. They usually lose their money twice. Self-millionaires Twice. I lost mine once. I, I didn't <laughs> lose it all, but hopefully you're a quick learner. You don't need the second one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what happens is, in you know, I lost about a million dollars of net worth personally between 2017 and January of 2020, and I got married and all these things and just stress. All the a uh, lot of a lot of things just imploded. But in that midst of that, I knew all those stories. Now, it still wasn't easy to navigate. Like I had to, I kind of had in that mind every day. I'm like, I'm just going to handle the fires I can handle today. I can't handle them all. But I knew that it was going to remake me. And even now, like this year, last year was my most profitable year yet. Um, This year probably will be triple that, maybe 4X that. And I made back what I accumulated or what I lost in a year, I'll made it back in, in essentially two years and then some. Um, and then the next you know, four or five years are going to be gravy. So um, and, and it's because of an identity. You know, like, you know, the uh, lottery winners. Oh, yeah. Right. Like they win 20 million, three and a half years later, they're back in the trailer park. Usually in more debt. Almost yeah. always. Yeah. Because they didn't, they, their identity didn't change. 
Same thing with like, you know, we just watched the Super Bowl last night. Most NFL players after they retire, same with most other college or professional athletes, they're, you know, destitute three and a half years after their career is over because their identity didn't change. Sure. Absolutely. One thing you said, um, Mike, that was that was perfect. So when you're talking about failure and taking the shot. So ironically, just this morning, I posted on social media um, a quote essentially saying that missing the target is not the worst thing you can do. It's never taking the shot to begin with. Mm-hmm. And that, that quote, I, I loved it because Pivot Me is the podcast, but um, we're owned by my consulting firm, Maven. And one of our core principles is always take the shot. Yeah. And doesn't matter if you miss it, and that's you know number one is doing good things with good people, but number two is always take the shot. If you take the shot and you miss, and that's true of my team too. Like, yeah, I had a great idea. We took the shot, didn't work out. All right, you know I appreciate mm-hmm. the courage that you took the shot. Um, and those can be expensive too, but always take the shot. It's it's that's not cool. about always hitting the A. It's not always about hitting the target. It's about having the courage to keep showing up and trying again. Hundred percent. That's beautiful, April. Great, great uh, cultural value. Yeah, it's huge for us. So um, I, I really want to emphasize what, what we talked about. Um, I think that we were both speaking the same language, but I want to make sure that we really drive this home, which is self-made, very successful people usually lose it all on average twice. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. But if you, you know, if you're listening right now and things haven't gone as planned, maybe 2020, maybe the Maybe COVID has um, really downsized your business. You're struggling. Some of the people we work with are in the entertainment business. That has been, um, if you're in the in-person entertainment business, they've been hit pretty hard. So if you're in that place, know that um, there is an upside. And if you if you chart a business's trajectory and even personal trajectory as well, if you look at the inflection points, moments where everything sort of changed, your, your real highs are often preceded by a low. And you just gave a good example of that. Hey, I bottomed out. I lost a million bucks. And now I'm having the biggest years I've ever had. That isn't coincidence. So if you are in the low moment, just know you haven't failed if you haven't quit. You only fail if you give up. If you throw in the towel and go, ah, screw it. This isn't for me. All this, you know, playing big and courage thing didn't work out for me. That's that's when you fail. As long as you keep showing up, you, you might be three feet from gold. So if you're in one of those low moments, don't give up. Keep going. Keep showing up. You know, review what you're doing for sure. Take a look and say, hey, does this still make sense? Is the ladder I'm climbing, does this is it still against the right wall? Does this still make sense? But if the answer is yes, you only lose if you give up. Yeah. So good. And this and what if you know, what if you, the things that you fell at or things that go wrong, they're just there to set set you up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the, I love to ask the question, what if, what if, what if, what if this is a gift? What if this is a setup? What if this is there to, um, like, you know, in terms of the pivot, like we are constantly pivoting, but mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, all these things are leading you. If you're attuned to yourself and attuned to the flow, um, man, so many gifts are right there for you. Yeah. You know, uh, we just got a comment in from Mike Forrester and he said, is the recovery due to the intense focus when you hit the bottom? What would you say to that, Mike? Yeah. Often. Great question, Michael. Um, so when we get our, on our bottom, what happens is we have to strip away things that weren't exactly aligned. So it's almost like you get a little more precise, you get a little more locked in on your bullseye. 
um, because you have to let go of things, even if they were good, even if you were like in your zone of excellence. Uh, you now, like I know when I started hitting my rock bottom, I was like, I got greater clarity on my zone of genius versus my zone of excellence. There was a lot of things I could do, but there's some things that I could be one of the best in the world at. And so it's a pruning, you know, there's that, uh, uh, verse, uh, that story in the, in John 15 in the Bible about the vine gardener who prunes the vines. If you go to a vineyard in Italy, Man, they in the in the winter months they prune the vines really far down, like to where it looks really painful. Like you're like, hey, how's this vine gonna recover? But it actually makes it even more fruitful. So the pruning is a is a fruit producing activity that is painful, but it, it, when you it becomes much more bearable when you know there's purpose and meaning behind it, and then you can embrace it instead of resisting it. Yeah. What if when we're in those moments, we just go, well, I'm being pruned. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Um, yeah. It reminds me of a C.S. Lewis quote about that the, the um, blows of the chisel um, hammer that hurt us so much really is what's shaping the form of man. But it doesn't feel like that when you get hit with a chisel, right? You're just like, why? How is this happening again? But ultimately, you are focusing on the things that are so important. Talk to us about the zone of genius. I, I love this concept. I'd love for you to explain what that is. And, and even what you were just saying about pruning away. Okay, here at Pivot Me, we say a lot about don't say what you could do. Because the answer is you're incredibly resourceful. You can do a lot of things. I rephrase it as what should you do? What's the thing that only you can do? Because especially as entrepreneurs, we're incredibly resourceful. We're like, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. Keith Cunningham, most entrepreneurs die of indigestion, not starvation. We just like are taking it all in and mm-hmm. really got to dial in on what makes the most sense. So talk to us about the zone of genius. Yeah. So back in 2018, when I was in my rock, more of my rock bottom moments, I had my uh, real estate business that just crumbled two months before we got married. And then my marketing agency and branding agency was, it wasn't doing that well. Like we had expanded a lot but then uh, had a string of unsatisfied clients and uh, a key staff member that wasn't a good fit. And and she eventually left. And like, there was just so much, so many things were going wrong. And then I had this time of reflection, actually, right after we were married and we're in Florence, Italy, and my wife just, and I just got in a fight a bit and she's kind of intensely speaking to me about, Babe, you're you could do this. Like people are paying for this from you. They want this. Like mainly my mind and my strategy and all those things, and not all this other stuff. And I kind of stormed out. It was a Sunday afternoon. I stormed out of the hotel or uh, Airbnb we were staying in and went to a cafe and just hung out there for two or three hours and journaled and wrote and thought about. It. I'm like, hey, what what? Where is my area where I'm a badass? Where I could actually really flourish. Mm-hmm. and kind of landed on the mentoring and the coaching side because that was the piece that people love, seemed to love the most. And it was an, it helped me incubate and develop the next layer of my zone of genius process because I st- sort of started it the year before, but it's basically a combination of five different personality tests, your Colby Index, your Strings Finder, your Myers-Briggs, your DISC, and your Wealth Dynamics. Of course, I do like the Enneagram as well. You take this inventory and it's, it, think of it as like, hey, how do I accumulate all the clues that I can possibly find about who I am and what on earth I'm meant to do and where I'm a badass, where I suck ass? Let me create the greatest accumulation of clues ever. So you do all the unique abilities, 
or unique talents. Then you go to the next piece, the second piece, your key relationships. So where's the natural proclivity? Like we were talking about Rory Baden and and Brand Builders Group. So I've been friends with a lot of these guys for like 15 years Um, and best-selling authors and all this and big personal brands. I love connecting with them. So I was like, oh, I have like 20 best-selling author friends. Maybe I'm supposed, maybe that's a clue. Um, And I love being around them. Third, your unique life experiences. So you go back on your life, like, you know, your bio, you've got all these cool life experiences from habitat to humanity for real estate to 45 countries to a coup and all these things, right? So you got these cool things. So what are the clues about those things? Um, Mm -hmm. Fourth thing is your values and passions. It's almost like those are like your last layer of filter, um, and then when you have when you have overlap or synergy between unique abilities, key relationships, unique life experiences, and your values and passions, that will tell you there's hey there's something right here for you. There's you'll get more clarity. Doesn't mean you'll have hey exactly the right role, but you'll know I'm meant to be in this type of role and play this type of part. Like I know I'm one of the world's best at strategic ideation for entrepreneurs. Um, mentoring, believing and and reprogramming subconscious beliefs and uh, starting businesses. But I suck at managing a business. I don't leave me out of project management. Honestly, I don't want to be CEO of most of my companies. Um, You know, like I know my lane much more clearly now. And so now I can describe myself, position myself um, for optimal success. If you look at most people who experience extraordinary things, they are usually in extraordinarily right positions. Everything demands your attention right now. You want to be on your A-game, but you need two of you just to manage your day. But what if I could multiply you? What if I told you there are secrets that top performers are using right now to still get ahead? There are, and I'll give them to you. In my new Four Steps videos, I'll show you how to master distraction, practice prioritization, get the right things done without working more hours. And for now, I'm doing it for free. Your time is priceless right now and you need to take back control of your day and your to-do list. Go to pivot-me.com backslash four steps and you can begin the videos within seconds. We all need more time right now, and Four Steps will give it to you. Yes, you can multiply yourself, and I'll show you how to do it in Four Steps. I can do almost everything I want in life. I just can't do it all at once. Like I was telling you before we hopped on, I'm going to do two books a year, probably for the next decade. I've already got my two books for next year lined out and and. And then there's other businesses. I want to start a sustainable wine company. I want to start, uh, like, I guess I'm, I'm not going to go down that path too much. But um, you think about the sequencing and then you think about, all right, um, how, how, how do I stay in my lane that is most fulfilling and most impactful? So part of the zone of genius, like my book, Find Your Genius, Your Natural Pathway to Wealth, Fulfillment, and Impact. So that means I also have to say no, you know, the root, ruthless priority of what is it? Hell yes. You know, all those things, right? You, yeah. um, Hell yes. And then, but also looking at, I've from the painful mistakes, I looked at 
most of my mistakes were improperly designed businesses. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't design out the business enough on the front end. And so that's why I, like my sustainable wine company or my journal company that I want to launch or, you know, eventually in the restaurant space at some point as well. I'm, I'm sequencing those things. I'm not, I'm making sure I have the right team. I'm building, I'm putting more effort on building the team so that I can say no to the parts that are not in my wheelhouse. It's mm-hmm. the power of a positive no. I'm saying no to this so I can say yes to that. That that, And there's a book called Power of Positive No that I've got some of that concept from. But um, so that's a big piece. And, and, and Essentialism is another great book. I'm sure you've read it. But it's like it, when, when in the early stages of our success, it's more predicated on us saying yes. But once we reach a certain point, it's more based on what we say no to. Yeah. And the trick is we don't know when we get there. Sometimes we need to hear, this is why designing the right peer group is important or having a coach or a mentor that can clue you in because that's something I see a lot. It's so last week, this is what our podcast was on is saying no to clients, hiring clients, referring clients out or business opportunities out because we don't, a lot of entrepreneurs don't recognize when they cross that threshold. We've got this memory of, oh man, I remember when it was so hard to get clients. I was hustling and I finally got one, finally got two. And then we kind of get in this scarcity mentality where at first when they start, they may have been a little desperate for the business. Mm-hmm. But then eventually you get translated. Eventually you hit this tipping point of now I've got to say no to business. Now I've got to say no to opportunities. There's there's so much things that are now available to me. And your no muscles got to get really strong. The, the whole concept of when you said yes to one thing, you said no to another. The trick is we're not often aware of what we're saying. No. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do the speaking engagement. But what did you just say no to? Because if you're there, then you said no to something else, uh, which is okay as long as you've taken inventory and you're aware of what you're saying no to. Yeah. So um, one of the things we, we talk about here at Pivot Me is the time when we did pivot. So whether that's when you lost a lot of money, when businesses went down, uh, it might be something else. For some people, it was um, with Ian Koniak, he'd got stuck at 18 stories on a um, a roller coaster in some, some amusement park. Anyways, he was stuck upside down for an hour. It completely changed his life after that. Sometimes it's a car accident. Sometimes it's, you know, an upset in business. Do you have a time where you kind of experienced this pivot point? Yeah, definitely. Um you know, when my real estate business fell apart in, uh, I guess it was March of 2018, I was like, my heart's not in this to rebuild this. Even though it was my cash cow and I was making like a lot, a good amount of money for five to 10 hours a week, I just had no desire to go back in that. My heart, it would have been in violation. It felt like I would be violating my body if I went back into it. But at the same time, I'm like, all right, how am I going to replace that income? And um, so I ended up leaning more deeply into coaching. But I, I knew in that season and in other seasons where like when I shut down, uh, another pivot point was I was at uh, Abundance 360, Peter DeBondis' mastermind. I was in that for two years. And we were talking about all these exponential technologies of the future. And then I knew the uh, organizational life cycle. In the industry life cycle from Dr. Ichak Adizis, where you know you go through, there's every industry, every business, like they start out as an infant, then they go to like uh, you know a toddler, then they go to a little kid, then they go to teenager, then they go to young adult, and then they full fledged prime, you know, mm-hmm. and then they go to laggard and or like you know they're 
they're dying. Like they're heading towards the end. And I realized I was in a bunch of dying industries. Wow. Powerful. Yeah. I was in real estate, which is, you know, people are always going to be buying homes, but people are more and more buying them from Zillow and other stuff and discount brokerage, all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, that didn't inspire my soul. Um, and there was, a, I had already reached the top. There wasn't a whole lot. I mean, yeah, I could have had a bigger team and sold more homes, but I was not inspired by that. Um, second, um, my car, I had a socially minded car dealership where every car we sold helped us give away cars to single mothers in need and all that. And that was wonderful. And that was one of my proudest things that we gave away $300,000 worth of cars to single mothers in need while I had that. Um, but I knew that industry was also in the midst of disruption. And eventually there we're all going to be like, I, at that time I had three cars. Now I have one car between my wife and I using Uber and Lyft and all that more and more. And that's only going to improve. Then branding agency. I was like, ah, oh, that's, that's past its heyday. The margins are slim um, and the headaches are many. So I, I was like, I'm, I gotta get out of that. And, uh, but I saw the expert brand um, that's still fairly early. Um, and then also e-com still early. So e- e-commerce has only been around 21 years. So it's a pretty crazy thing. And it's still uh, last year, it went from 16% of retail to probably about 30% by the end of the year. You know, it's still very early. And most people still don't uh, even I coach a lot of guys in that world that are seven to eight figure e-com. There's a lot of things there they could be doing better. So I wanted to be in industries and I'm riding the wave because most of what I learned from stock investing is, you know, if you're in, uh, if you invest when there's a technology craze and you invest in any technology company, like you remember the dot-com boom or the oil boom, man, you're just, it doesn't matter if you're in the best company or the worst company in that industry, you're going to be riding a wave. I want to be on the right waves. Yeah, that takes clarity. I can't imagine the day that you're sitting there looking at all the businesses you've got and go, oh, crap, they're all in dying industries. Like, I didn't realize that I was investing in calculators and chimneys this whole time, you know? Like, that was an eye-opening experience. Um, what, I'm curious, Mike, um, I love the giving the cars to single mothers. Why did you pick that cause? Why is that near and dear to your heart? Yeah, um, so... We had a goal that was twofold uh, for our car dealership. First, have the highest rated car buying experience, the most ethical, most fair um, car buying experience. So I partnered with two other buddies, and we honestly did. We had the highest rated car buying experience, straight up price, like, you know, all inspected, high quality vehicles, something that we would. Our vision was, hey, if I see you in a restaurant and you bought a car from us two years ago, we're not going to want to duck our head. We're going to be like, hey, we're proud. Like, you got a good car for a good value. I mean, no car is perfect, but, you know, uh, we'd be proud of that. And secondly, um, inspired by Tom's Shoes and also a cars ministry by a church in Chicago called Willow Creek, we wanted to, uh, we knew. And in Nashville, um, uh, man, uh, we almost every single person, probably 75% of the people that we gave a car to, they, uh, there would be single mothers with like two kids and they were, she had been taking the bus for the whole time. And what should take a normal person 30 minutes, she would spend an hour and a half. And cause it's not New York. It's not, you know, these other places with great public transportation. Many of them did not even have a driver's license. 
because they were like, I would never be able to afford a car was in their mindset. And they'd be like 25, 26 years old, 30 years old. And, and like, how is that possible? But that it shifts someone's life and career and income trajectory when um, they get a car and a leg up. And so that was our way of giving back and, and, and one of the more unique elements of, and we would invite the community in, invite previous customers, PR sometimes, and, and the nonprofit, we would partner with nonprofits to find the most worthy recipient. And it was an absolute joy. It was, it was one of my favorite moments. And I hope to be able to do stuff like that again in the future with my vendor. That's what it's all about, right? I mean, as you get through that, that next level of success, you open that door for you to turn back and open it for somebody else. I mean, that's such an important piece. And even when we talk about educate, elevate, execute, we talk about educate yourself and then educate others. Elevate yourself and then elevate others because we're not meant to keep this all to ourselves. Like for, especially for those who are ready and willing to improve their life in whatever regards, whether that's, hey, if I have a car, it opens up possibilities and maybe I'll get a better job instead of one that the bus might mm-hmm. be. Um, I just love that you did that work. That is that is awesome, Mike. Thank you. One uh, one of the questions that came in from Mike Forrester was with leaving those. So back to when we were talking about the businesses in the in the markets that were shrinking. With leaving those disrupted markets, are you now entering e-com and branding on a typical pattern or as a disrupt as a disruptor? Good question, Michael. Um, big thing that I love working through is a, a blue ocean strategy. I'm sure many of you guys have heard of that. Um, great book, highly, highly recommend. In fact, I, I created a process uh, for evaluating and creating my own blue ocean pathways and coaching a lot of my clients based on that book. Um, but I highly, uh, you know, I won't go into an industry where I'm competing head to head. And so the six levers of blue ocean that you want to look at on how, how you avoid competing head to head, which is, uh, that's not where you want to be. So, mm-hmm. If you are not familiar with blue ocean versus red ocean, red ocean, there's sharks in the water. There's blood in the water. If you throw fish in ocean and there's sharks nearby, boom, like soon enough, that whole area is just filled with, it's, it's red. Versus, Give us an example of one that's in the red ocean. So car dealerships, for example, you know, it's a commoditized industry. And when you look at in any industry that is being commoditized, mm-hmm. um, that means the margins are going to shrink, 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 shrink. You want to stay away from those because your only main lever of differentiation is price. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not the right place to be. Okay, yeah. yeah. Versus, uh, let's look at a blue ocean. Airbnb is essentially a blue ocean. So customer productivity. Does your offer, your product, or service radically change customer productivity? So you think of, you know, Apple creating iCloud, um, you know, things like that. That Yes, there's other other fish in the sea, you know, Google calendars and things like that. But there's less and you're like, and there's iCal is the only one that's naturally integrated with your iPhone. Right. So that's a little bit of a hits on the second one, which is simplicity, customer productivity, simplicity. You think of just how do you make things easier? Then the third is convenience. Dollar Shave Club sold a generic product but they revolutionized the convenience of delivery of uh, razors and it sold the company for $1.2 billion. Risk, do I reduce risk? This is the fourth area. How do you radically reduce risk? Uh, Carnival Cruise Lines launched their whole company with 110% guarantee. And meaning, hey, if they didn't like the cruise, 
They would refund their their whole cruise experience and pay for their flight back. And they they that was their main leverage point for an offer. And they didn't even have, I don't know if you know the story, April, but they didn't have enough money to paint both sides of their first boat. So they would pull their cruise liner into the same side facing the beach every time for all their stops because they barely <laughs> launched this company. So you got to reduce risk and you don't have to have all six of these, but these are just, you know, some of the levers you can play on fun and image. Southwest uses fun and image, right? Yeah. Um, and then the sixth thing is environmental friendliness. Companies like Tesla, environmental friendliness, fun and image, ludicrous mode, convenience. Uh, you know, Tesla was working on that. Oh, put a charger in your house. Now you don't have to go to the gas station, things like that. Now there's other drawbacks, but in the more levers you can pull, the better. Yeah, that makes sense. I love that you said you don't need them all, but and the examples are perfect because if you're sitting in a round table and someone said, we're going to, we're going to open this cruise line, right? We don't have the finance to paint the other side of the ship. You're like, this is a terrible idea. Do not do this. It's going to fail. And yet they didn't. Um, I love that story because it's a, it's a good reminder that, well, the rest was good enough to make up for the fact that half of the ship is. Exactly. Yeah. We're tempted to just do what we know and do what we've always done. And so much of, honestly, of coaching and, and personal growth and development is just stopping and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I know you've done this always, but is this still serving you? This may have served you 1.0, but now you're, you're 2.0. Does this still serve you? And asking the question about our habits, our business, and our personal life, does this still serve me? Is this bringing out the best in me? It's such an incredible question. Love that, April. It's very relevant to your, you know, your whole brand, Pivot Me which is you look at all those companies, if they stop innovating, eventually a blue ocean becomes a red ocean. All blue oceans, if, the, if it's a true blue ocean, it becomes a red ocean. Look how many cars, how many, how many electric car ads did we see on the Super Bowl last night? Cadillac has one, all electric. Like That's becoming a crowded marketplace, even though Tesla is the first major pioneer. Sure. If they stop innovating, all the other, and now you're back in a red ocean. With everything, if we're, we may be the best, but do not get comfortable. Do not sit back on your haunches because someone will come and eat your lunch. What are some of the things that you've done and will continue to do that have helped make you successful that you're, you're real intentional about? Number one, I'm always, I'm always learning. Like I make it a goal. I've had it a goal since I was 20 years old to read a book a week. Now, I haven't always done that, but I've, I'm not far off. Um, and I learned that, like this guy, I, I went during finals week, my junior year in college, first semester, I went to a seminar by Brian Tracy. And that <laughs> so, yep. so I'm at this guy's conference when I'm supposed to be studying for finals. And, uh, and I was eating it up. It was way better than I would have than I would have gotten from being in the library. But he said one thing. He said, guess what? Experts in any industry are paid disproportionately more than non-experts or than people that are really knowledgeable. So what's it take to become an expert? Read one book a month in your chosen field for three years. I'm like, that's 36 books. I'm not waiting freaking three years. I'm going to do it in one year. So then from then on, I made a goal. I even had list on my laptop of like, these are the books I, I read this year. These are the books I'm going to read next year. And um, and so just continually getting smarter and wiser 
growth never stops. And and when you and it makes life, it's one of six core human needs. When we get when we keep growing, we feel so fulfilled and and curious. Like I'm learning from you. This like you scratched my mind today. Just reading your bio stretches my mind, right? And then the second one would go along with your execute part, which is man, get your most important thing done first. Like I, I used to have a big, massive two-hour morning routine. And I still have a little bit of one because I want my mind to be in the right framework. But I will jump right in. And I got this from uh, Craig Ballantyne um, in his per- perfect week formula. But I'll jump right in after about 15 or 20 minutes to get my, my day set, little light workout, water, tea, whatever, matcha, and meditation visualization and a little bit of reading um about 20 minutes later i'm working on my biggest thing that's how i wrote a book in november the month of november i wrote a my find your genius book you wrote a book in the month of november yeah wow that's impressive mike my wife was in her like 16th week of pregnancy or whatever it was, you know, and she was going to bed at like 9.30 or 10. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to bed early and getting up early. So I'd be getting up, you know, between four and six every day and just crank for two or three hours on my book. And uh, I, soon enough, I had it done. And I was letting go of perfection on it, too. To, um, so the third thing I would say Praise progress over perfection. Embrace the suck. I love that. Yeah, you, you've probably heard this quote. In, at the beginning, you'll suck. And eventually, you'll suck so little that you'll actually be good. Mm-hmm. I think it was Chris Hogan who said, masterpieces aren't written, they are rewritten. Yeah, exactly. Love that. And then last one I'll mention today is put yourself in environments. On like Again, back to that environmental. If I put myself in environments where my success is inevitable because I'm just surrounded. Do whatever it takes to put yourself in a higher level state, higher level environments, um, pay what you got to, uh, invest the time that you have to, take time off, whatever, you will shift. And it will mm-hmm. shift by default. Like uh, it won't, won't be as much of an uphill struggle. Yeah, yeah. It's and, and when you put yourself in those environments, let me add to that, when you put yourself in those environments, Talk to other people, invest in them, get to know them, be interested in what they're doing and their lives and their businesses and, and share yours too. Be sure you state what you're there to do. And um, w- when we're honest about that, then people kind of rally around us to help us. I was, I, I mentioned in the podcast last week, I was talking about skating attention. And I said, a gal that I know posted on Facebook, she said, um, she said, someday I want to meet Russell Brunson or my dream is to meet Russell Brunson. And imagine if instead she said, who do I know that knows Russell Brunson? Mm-hmm. She would have gotten instead of likes. Yeah. And so when you show up in those environments, invest in the people and, and truly not just show up and be self-serving of like, hey, what can I get of this? And screw you all. You know, be very cognizant of how I want to invest in you and, mm-hmm. you know, people will invest in you back. But also be clear about where you're headed because people will rally around you. The right people will want to see you get where you're going. But that doesn't happen if we keep our, our vision and our dream all tight because then people are like, I don't want to say it. I this. You've got to get it out there because people will help you succeed. But that doesn't happen unless you articulate what you need. Exactly. And that's that's why it's so powerful to be in masterminds. Why I love masterminds. That's my single favorite. I've spent half a million dollars to be in masterminds myself and I've led a bunch. And you, know, you lead your own as well. And it's like, man, yeah, get yourself in those environments over and over and over again. And 
your like your peer group shifts, your identity shifts, your confidence shifts, and things become easier. They do. They do. And we need to see people doing the thing that we're going after yeah. because then it doesn't seem so crazy. So if you've never written a best-selling book, first thing, meet someone who's written a best-selling book. Don't sit around and talk to other people that want to write a book because that's not good. It's like saying you're going to start a workout plan and you're like, I'm going to pick my most unfit friend and we're going to be accountability buddies. This is a terrible strategy. Like again, go to Sarah down the street who runs every morning at 6 a.m. So whatever it is, whether you're growing a business, whether it's fitness goals or relationship goals, find someone who's doing that thing well, because then it doesn't sound, it doesn't seem like such a unicorn. Like once, you know, once Roger Bannister hit that four minute mile, then everybody else did it because it seemed possible. Well, you're going to be a better runner if you know the Roger Bannisters of the world. Where can people connect? With you? Where do they find more of Mike? Yeah. So I'm on Clubhouse is Michael Zeller. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, Instagram, Michael R. Zeller. And then, of course, MikeZeller.com and LinkedIn. Facebook is Michael Zeller as well. And then, um, you know, I also have SecretsOfClubhouse.com. So if any of you guys are getting into Clubhouse, I just have a like five page little ebook that might be ideal for some of you guys. Um, I think it, Clubhouse is an epic platform uh, for connecting. And uh, anyway, so those are, those are some of the platforms right now. And eventually, you'll be able to buy my books on Amazon and Barnes and Noble later this year, but not. Yet. Can't wait for that. So we'll put all of uh, Mike's links um, in the show notes too. So if you didn't get them live, we'll definitely put them in and on the uh, recorded audio. Um, two follow-up questions. So one is, if you could tell the world anything, what would it be, Mike? Socrates said, the beginning of all wisdom is to know thyself. So that's that's ultimately, it, it all begins there. D. Hawk, the founder of Visa, he retired in the seventies and still, he's still alive today. And he said in his research and he's written for Harvard and saying that's the very best leaders in the world spend more than 50% of their time leading themselves. So mm-hmm. for me and for, you know, anyone that I interact with, whether friends, like uh, I was mentoring the founders of uh, Goalcast, you know, the viral video company on Facebook. So I was mentoring them. Yeah. Back in 2018, they flew to Nashville for my, my wedding celebration and end of the evening, they're like, Mike, everyone here knows their wealth dynamics, knows their strengths finder, knows their Myers-Briggs. You have all your friends have taken all the personality tests. Like, <laughs> this is crazy. I've never been in a room like this. And, and somehow like these conversations were happening over like our wedding, uh, you know, celebration. And uh, they're like, all the teachers over here are at this table and all the D's and the D's are over here. Love it. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's because, man, it, you can live a, a very intentional life that leads to greater fulfillment, greater joy, and just not just professionally, but personally. My wife and I, we would not have survived our dating uh, months because we were so opposite, even though we're actually very complimentary. We we're so opposite. Um, she's a high ENFJ, and I'm an INTP, and I'm like, she's like, she didn't understand that I wanted alone time, that I actually needed it sometimes. And and to her, it felt like rejection and and all those things. So to know thyself is the beginning of all wisdom. So that's why I love the zone of genius process. That's why I'm writing a book on it. Um, and, and that's why I think for all of you guys listening, be a student of yourself. 
master yourself and you can master the game of life. So good. Great words of wisdom. Thank you so much for your time. Um, again, we'll put the links in. Can't wait to read your books. I love the topics. I love the insight that goes into this. And uh, we'll definitely share those when they come out as well. well thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure connecting with you, April. And it's been a beautiful phase entanglement of pinging off of each other. And um, I'm going to take a little goodness from you for my rest of the day and rest of the week. Thank you, Mike. Great conversation with Mike Zeller today. Some of the highlights that really got me were, one was the concept of you should be an environmental designer. Again, this puts the power back in our hands. If you are trying to be productive, be healthy, be fulfilled, don't also have to fight your environment. Make sure you align that as well. I really enjoyed him sharing what the father of Sarah Blakely, his his nightly question of, what did you fail at today? Man, what a profound way to embrace failure as a normal part of life in business. Though, if I was sitting at the table, I'd probably also add the question of what did you succeed at today? I'm sure he probably asked that question too. But focusing on both is just so important to increase our success We have to double our failures, Thomas Watson Jr. But that's a piece that we always forget. We want success, but we have to remember that comes with a whole lot of failures. And Mike wrote down the difference between a blue ocean and a red ocean and where we should jump in in business, but also where we should get out. So much great information shared on his course, The Zone of Genius, and I can't wait for his upcoming book. We'll be sure to share that with you when it's available for purchase. But for now, connect with Mike. We'll drop the links in show notes. Be sure to grow your network, grow your influence, and that's how we can make massive impact in this world. I'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what you hear, Give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at TheAprilGarcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors, and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.